This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Wednesday, the 21st day of February. And I did not pull up my show notes. I've been all ready to go here for minutes. And my show notes, which I finalized and saved to the cloud, I never downloaded to my iPad. There they are. I don't know who I am or what I'm doing. If I don't have notes, how do I do this? Okay, there we go. I have notes. I haven't opened my Bible app. I don't have my Kindle open to to do our daily reading in the life of Christ from John MacArthur. I am just I've been sitting here listening to podcasts and surfing the web and thinking I was all ready to go. And then all of a sudden, oh, you're starting and none of this stuff is up on your iPad. Oh, so please forgive me. And here I was thinking I was all ahead of the game. (laughs) Nothing like being organized, right? Hey, at least I got it all set up to stream on, on Rumble and everything and all of that good stuff. All right. Now, one more app to open, and that would be our Kindle app so that we have daily readings from the life of Christ. All right. Back to the show notes. There we go. Welcome to the Piney Woods. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Wednesday, the 21st day of February, 2024, and this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. Obviously, a professional and put-together podcast, everything just clicking. <laughs> We webcast at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on X, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the audio podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to christianpodcastcommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You will find something worth listening to, I guarantee it. All right. Oh, happy, happy Wednesday. Halfway through the week by lunchtime today. I got to go get an oil change in my car today so that it will be all ready for a few more months. <laughs> um, youth group tonight, back at the back at the church with the Utes as we are continuing to uh, work our way through um, a study in Acts in the early church as well as memorizing a passage from Ephesians 2. Um, so that is our our day today. Um, hope you have a, a day ahead of you that is worthwhile and God-honoring. Um, uh, it's just, I'm having a good day. I had a good morning. Um, I said everything was going well until I realized I had not opened up my apps and everything on, 
I started the podcast, looked down, and nothing was on my screen, and I had not set anything up. Just one of those days, I guess. I was too busy giving uh, Chris Honholtz a hard time on X. Uh, <laughs> if you know, you know. If you don't know, you don't need to know. Truthfully, you should follow both of us on X and you would be amused at some of the hijinks that we get into. Um, yeah, so a lot going on, a lot going on uh, here at the, the, here in the Piney Woods and, and around the country and everything. Um, just looking at the notes I've already made for next Monday's Monday Meandering. It's going to be lit. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, it's going to be lit. So prepare yourself. Monday meandering is going to be a good one. And the, uh, the audience of the show is growing. I appreciate that. Um, you can, you can share squirrel chatter, uh, pass it around, tell your friends to listen, uh, you know, tell your enemies to listen, you know, you really want to feel bad? Listen to this podcast with this guy called Squirrel. Why is it that I'm fine until I start doing the podcast and then all of a sudden my nose is running, I kind of cough, all of this stuff? Um, you know, some, some radio professional, tell me why this works this way. Because it's probably true of everyone. And I just noticed I'm wearing a G3 shirt and I'm drinking from a G3 mug. That was not planned. Um, this was the next shirt on the pile, and I grabbed this out of the cabinet yesterday. So um, this is the G3 mug stolen from Virgil Walker's own desk. It isn't. It came in the mail. It was not stolen off Virgil's desk. Don't panic, Virgil. I would have stolen it off his desk, but I already had one. So there you know. All right, what do we got coming up today? We have scripture readings. We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And our study Bible level Bible study of Deuteronomy continues. We're in chapter 29. We're picking up in verse 22. I think I stopped in 20. Yeah, I stopped there, didn't I? I'm going to back up to 14. We, we, we may have covered it, but I think I covered it really quick. And we will, we will go through picking up in 14. Um, I'd have to go back and look at where I stopped, but I'm, I'm looking at 14 and I'm like, I don't remember talking about that. So we'll talk about that. And if I covered it yesterday, you can compare what I say today with what I said yesterday and make sure I'm saying the same things. All right, let's begin, as is our practice, with the Prayer of Confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. 
Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our scripture readings today are Genesis chapter 50 and Psalm 50. That's where we're going today. Um, let us now read Genesis 50. Finishing Genesis today. Genesis chapter 50. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Then the forty days to do this were fulfilled, because in this manner the days of embalming are fulfilled. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. Then the days of weeping for him were past, and Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your sight, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am about to die in my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. So now please let me go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the household of Joseph, and his brothers, and his father's household. They left only their little ones and their flocks and their herds in the land of Goshen. There also went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very immense camp. And they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan. And they lamented there with a very great and immense lamentation. And he was observed, and he observed seven days of mourning for his father. Now the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, and they said, This is an immense mourning for the Egyptians. Therefore it was named Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded. Indeed, his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham had bought along with the field for his possession as a burial site from Ephron the Hittite. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers, and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. Then Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, and they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and returns back to us all the evil which we dealt with against him? So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father commanded before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they dealt evil against you. So now please forgive the transgression of the slaves of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. 
Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to do what has happened on this day, to keep many people alive. So now do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them, comforted them, and spoke to their heart. Now Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household. And Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons, also the sons of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were born on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and they embalmed him, and he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Now, Psalm 50. Psalm 50, a psalm of Asaph. The Mighty One, God, Yahweh, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shone forth. May our God come and not be silent. Fire devours before him and a storm whirls around him. He calls the heavens above and the earth to render justice to his people. Gather my holy ones to me, those who have cut a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I do not reprove, reprove, <clears throat> excuse me, reprove is a hard word for me. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices, and your burnt offerings are continually before me. I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine as well as its fullness." Shall I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of distress. I shall rescue you and you will glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recount my statutes and to take my covenant in your mouth? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you associate with adulterers. You let your mouth loose in evil, and you harness your tongue for deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, I kept silent. You thought that I was just like you. I will reprove you and state the case in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you to pieces and there will be none to deliver. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving glorifies me, and he who orders his way, I shall show the salvation of God. This is the word of the Lord. And now our reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. Today's devotional is 
differences in foundations. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Matthew 7, 24 and 26. Dr. MacArthur writes, Differences between wise and foolish builders are more important than the similarities. The greatest differences are the types of foundations the builders choose. One selects a solid expanse of bedrock, stable and unmovable. The other selects sand, unstable and very movable. The house built on a foundation of rock is a life that believes and obeys Jesus' sermon and places all its hope in God. The sand, by contrast, represents paying little or no attention to the Word. The house built on that foundation is a life that relies on self-righteousness and trusts in changeable human opinions. The indicator of real discipleship is not merely hearing and professing, but believing and doing. True converts fit James's picture, one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. James 1.25 False disciples, however, fit the other picture James paints. Merely hearers who delude themselves, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. That's James 1, verses 22 and 24. What can be assured of salvation? We can be assured of salvation only when we build on the rock of truth and obedience, not on the standards of human opinions and speculations. Ask yourself, do you have a current undertaking, no matter how large or small, that's tempting you to hurry up and build without spending much time on the foundation? What will every effort or enterprise suffer from if more thought is given to wallpaper than to substructure? Build your life on the Word. So important. All right. We are in Deuteronomy, and I'm going to pick up in verse 14. Um, I said, I thought I read to 22 last yesterday, but... Uh, here I was, like I said, I'm, I'm discombobulated this morning. I thought I had it all put together. <laughs> and now I'm like, what did I do? Um, uh, uh, so let's, uh, let's begin in verse 14. God is speaking. He says, now, not with you alone am I cutting this covenant and this oath, but both with those who stand here with us today in the presence of Yahweh our God and with those who are not with us here today. For you know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. Moreover, you have seen their detestable things and their idols of wood, stone, silver, and gold, which they had with them. Lest there be among you a man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from Yahweh our God to go to serve the gods of those nations. So I did read this yesterday. Um, I'm, I'm remembering now. But let's talk about it a little bit more. Now remember that the generation that Moses is talking to in Deuteronomy 
is the generation that was alive after the 40 years in the wilderness. The eldest of them would have been children during the Exodus. Most of them were born after the Exodus. The generation that witnessed the Exodus, that disobeyed God by not entering the Promised Land and was thereby forced to wander the wilderness, that generation has passed on. That was God's judgment upon them that they would not see the Promised Land. So Israel has lived for 40 years in the wilderness until that generation passed. Um, God, in his mercy, could have struck them all dead that very day, um, but he didn't. A, the next generation needed to grow up and needed time to grow up, and B, the generation that was facing his judgment was given time to repent. So we, we hope that, that they had that opportunity and that many took, took, uh, took, took advantage of that opportunity. But here we have this next generation. And God is saying, not only am I making this covenant with you, I'm making this covenant with everyone who is going to come after you. This is a covenant with the nation of Israel now and in the future. And that's really important because that means that 10 generations later, 100 generations later, the Israelites are still bound by this covenant. Um, and that's, this is, this is an example of federal headship. This is an example of the heads of the family, Israel being a family, they are the descendants of Jacob. The heads of the family have the authority to make commitments that will carry through the rest of the family. Um, this is not something we like as Americans. <laughs> we want to be independent and free and nobody can tell me what to do and you ain't the boss of me. Um, in, in a lot of ways, that's America's greatest strength. And in other ways, it's our greatest weakness. We don't recognize the, the strength of commitment through generations. We have abandoned the principles of our parents. Um, one of the topics for Monday Meandering that I'm going to talk about is pornography. Um, I mentioned it yesterday, I guess. I mentioned the death of this adult film star. And I've just been thinking about all the damage that pornography has done. And uh, we'll talk about that on Monday. But I'm thinking about, look at the community standards that the United States had 50 years ago in the 1970s. It was, the 70s was when all this was really getting going as far as pornography and stuff. Um, it, it was, you know, it, it, it really took off in the 80s when home video came around. But in the 70s, you had the, 
adult theaters and and peep shows and all that stuff in the seedy part of town. Um, and honestly, that used to be Times Square in New York. Times Square is not viewed that way now, but boy, you go back to the 70s and that's exactly what it was. It was that seedy area of town that respectable people didn't want to be seen in. Um, that was where all the, the cheesy theaters and everything were that then the strip shows and whatnot. But you go back just a few minutes, a few years before that to the 1950s and the thought of nudity in a mainstream Hollywood movie was unthinkable. You didn't have to worry about it. Swear words weren't in movies. Um, just a, a completely different world. And we have abandoned those community moral standards to our detriment. Here we see God making a covenant not just with those who were there, but with those who were going to come after, those who are not with us here today. Because he says, you've seen all the things that you, you know how you lived in the land of Egypt. You know how you came through all the nations as you were passing through, wandering in the wilderness on your way to the promised land. You've seen their false worship. You've seen their false idols. And he says, lest there be among you a man or a woman or a family or a tribe whose heart turns away today from Yahweh our God to go and to serve the gods of those nations, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. So what he's saying is, remember the false, remember your covenant with God. Remember the false gods of the neighbors around you and understand that if you entertain that false worship and those false gods, it's going to be poison. And it's going to be it's going to be a root that bears poisonous fruit and wormwood, bitterness. This is this is a deep problem. It's in the root. You know, it's it it it, it when when you have ungodly thinking, especially false worship, idolatry, that's a, a deep root problem. And it spreads from the deep root of your life out through all of your actions and your thoughts and your attitudes. And it bears poisonous fruit. Verse 19, and it will be when he, this is the person who, who uh, is has abandoned the covenant with God. And it will be when he hears the words of this curse that he will bless himself in his heart, saying, I have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart in order to sweep away the watered land with the dry. Yahweh shall not be willing to pardon him, but rather the anger of Yahweh and his jealousy will burn against that man, and every curse which is written in this book will rest on him, and Yahweh will blot out his name from under heaven. Judgment is real. And there are those whom 
Yahweh is not willing to pardon. They will face his judgment and his wrath. And it will be severe. Every curse which is written in this book will rest on him. And Yahweh will blot out his name from under heaven. He will be cursed and forgotten. Not a fate any of us desire. Don't be this person. <laughs> yeah. There are people who are going to experience the wrath of God. Don't be one of them. Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. Why would you perish? Verse 21, Then Yahweh will separate him out for adversity from all the tribes of Israel, according to all the curses of the covenant, which are written in this book of the law. So, there is both God's relationship with the nation and God's relationship or lack thereof with individual Israelites. I believe I mentioned yesterday that not everyone who is of Israel is Israel. Paul's words from Romans 9. We're looking at um, the fact that not every physical descendant of Jacob, who is called Israel, is saved. And in fact, I, I, I think the same thing holds true with Israel that holds true with the entire world. Jesus said, the, the, the gate is narrow and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few there are that find it. But the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many enter thereby. God's people in Israel, God's people today are and have always been in the minority. So why has Christianity had such an effect on Western culture as we look over the last 2,000 years of history? You know, look at your, you know, Rome starting about 300 AD all through the Middle Ages and the Renaissance up into the morality of the 1950s that I just referenced. Why has Christianity had such an effect if true Christians have always been in the minority? And the only answer is it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God that he has allowed generations to live in relatively moral, I mean, certainly not perfect, I'm a historian, I can tell you about horrible atrocities in every age of history done in the name of God or in the name of, of Christianity and the church. But that, it was generally moral times, generally a biblical worldview that predominated so that it was God's standards of right and wrong that everyone looked to. Um, always there were dissidents, always there are ones who are trying to reject God, who don't want to be subject to God's rules. We know that. I mean, that's that goes back to, to Cain and Abel. It goes back to Adam and Eve, where they rejected God's commandment. 
That's the sinfulness of the human heart. But in general, God restrained human evil. I mean, we can look at the horrible wars. We can look at the horrible atrocities. It has not been a perfect thing, but you know, especially here in the United States, we have seen a, a relatively moral country compared to a lot of other places in the earth. And that has been God's grace upon us. That's no longer true. God is withdrawing his restraint. God is giving our nation and Western civilization itself over to its own sinfulness. And that judgment is coming. And that is, you know, it's, that's where we're at. Um, now, can God act and reverse that? Absolutely. The Roman Empire was sinful and wicked um, and would be as bad as we are if they had the Internet. Um, there's, there's a blessing in not being able to spread ideas far and wide. Um, technology is a two-edged sword. It gives us all sorts of good things to enjoy, but it also uh, wastes away a lot of our thought processes as we are amused to death and distracted. Um, and just, you know, needing, being able to recapture quiet time to sit and read. Um, I'm, I'm finding myself unplugging more and more just to have time to, to, to read and think because I, like everybody else, have gotten sucked into the constant noise that our society has. The radio's always on, the TV's always on, there's a podcast playing, there's something I want to watch on YouTube, there's something I want to listen to on a podcast. The, this is a constant, you know, to, to actually sit in silence and think is much more difficult now than it ever has been. Um, and that technology would have, you know, made Rome just as bad as we are or worse. Um, but it has certainly had a negative effect on our society. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day about how we were talking about 80s fashion and how we dressed in the 80s. And, and I was... I was very much a preppy kid. The, the preppy look was the you know, uh, Northeastern New England prep school look, the, the, where the, the rich kids went to school. And so that was the, you know, Izod shirts and khaki pants and topsider deck shoes, um, uh, members only jackets, the, 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 uh, what the, what we used to call an Ivy League haircut, which is not what an Ivy League haircut is now. An Ivy League haircut back then was the standard business haircut, um, but longer and shaggier on top. And this was the, the haircut that you saw on the campuses of Harvard and Princeton 
etc. You didn't see a lot of really long hair, but you saw this shaggy Ivy League haircut. That was the, that was the hairstyle, you know. Um, everybody wants to wants to talk about mullets and everything. That's late '80s, <laughs> early '80s. It was more of this Ivy League haircut, um, and we had MTV, which obviously previous generations had never had. And while television had had an effect on fashion, MTV had a much heavier effect on fashion. There was a, that's where we got our fashion cues from. So we wanted to dress like Duran Duran. We wanted to dress like Don Johnson on Miami Vice. We wanted to dress like, you know, uh, the, the, this, it was a clean look, but modern and, and, but it, it, that the unifying effect that, that MTV had pales in comparison to TikTok and Instagram and the effect that's having on our youth today. So, I mean, the, the, the media is definitely part of the problem at the same time, it's a great boon, but it's part of the problem. Um, and this is one of the reasons why I say, don't ever give your kids a smartphone until they have their own job and they can afford to buy a smartphone. They don't need one. Um, I would even then say they're not allowed to buy a smartphone until they're 18 or until at least they graduate from high school. They don't need one. Once you're out of high school, there really is a lessening of the susceptibility to peer pressure. Um, it's still there, but it's not at the same level. Um, I mean, I talked to, I remember when I was a kid going to college and when, of course, I went to college later. I was, I was a little bit older. I had I had had a, a I was a non-traditional student, even though I was only, you know, in my late 20s when I went to college. Um, but I had done a stint in the Air Force. I had had other life experiences. I was a dad when I went to college. Um, and even though I was only a few years older than my fellow freshmen, they were children. You know, at, at 17 and 18, just coming out of high school. And it was, it was interesting to, to hear from them and see in them this, all of a sudden, the opinions of everybody else didn't matter as much because you were in a much bigger world and you didn't have the concentrated judgment of a high school, even a big high school with a couple of thousand students is a microcosm of the wider world. Because once you get into, you know, you're, once you're out of high school, you're, there's such a diversity of life that you're not with everyone every day in a situation. And, and that takes a lot of that peer pressure away. So, yeah, they shouldn't have a cell phone in high school or a smartphone. You know, a, a flip phone, 
that allows them to call and text. That's all they need. That lets them let their parents know they're done with practice and need to be picked up. That lets them call their friends and say, you know, are we going to do something tonight? Or, you know, it makes it allows them to, to communicate without giving them the web browser and the, the, the access to TikTok and Instagram and all the other social media things, which have been shown to be detrimental. There is no doubt they're detrimental. And the, the studies all show it, you know, which is one of the reasons why, hey, step up, you know. Verse 22, and the generation to come, your sons who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a distant land shall see the plagues of the land and the diseases with which Yahweh has afflicted it. And they will say, all this land is brimstone and salt, a burning waste, unsown and nothing sprouting, and no grass grows in it like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah. Adma and Zeboam, which Yahweh overthrew in his anger and in his wrath. And all the nations will say, Why has Yahweh done this to this land? Why this great burning anger? Then men will say, Because they forsook the covenant of Yahweh the God of their fathers, which he cut with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they have not known and whom they have not apportioned to them. Therefore, the anger of Yahweh was kindled against the land to bring upon it every curse which is written in this book. And Yahweh uprooted them from their land in anger and in fury and in great wrath, and he cast them into another land as it is to this day. Notice, he doesn't say, there's no if then, it's when. <laughs> When the generations look upon the desolation of Israel and ask why, the answer will be because they abandoned God. And can I be honest? That's true of any nation. Why did God judge the Canaanites? Because they were worshiping false gods. Why did God judge the Egyptians? False gods. Why did God judge the Assyrians? False gods. Why did God judge the Babylonians? False gods. The Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. Yeah. False gods. Abandoning the God of the one true and living God. He's, he's the God of Israel, but he's the God of the whole world. And this same principle of abandoning God and worshiping false gods, the principle still holds. <laughs> yeah. he, he has judged nations in the past. In Scripture, we can read it for ourselves. He has judged nation after nation after nation for worshiping idols. Will he not judge us? Will he not judge us? for worshiping ourselves and worshiping our own pleasure so that someday when the United States lies in ruin, pray that a generation rises up and looks at the desolation of our land and says, this is because they abandoned Yahweh. 
all of the advantages God has given us, all the great and wonderful things that he has given us here, we have abandoned because we turned away from him and worshiped ourselves, worshiped the work of our hands. Yeah. Am I not Nebuchadnezzar? Look at, is this not Babylon the Great, which I have built? That's the attitude of, of many Americans. Yeah. And, and it is falling apart. And, and it, the, the Israel here is compared to Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plains, which are destroyed in Genesis. We read that in our scripture reading, you know, several weeks ago when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, for being immoral. And you're saying they're going to look at Israel and realize it was overthrown for the same reason and in the same way. But other nations, you know, there's the God is angry with the wicked every day. The psalmist tells us that. And then Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to Yahweh our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So what this verse is saying is God did not tell us everything, but he has certainly told us enough. He has told us what we are to do, that we may do all the words of this law. The things that have been revealed to us, we are accountable to. One of the most common things Jesus said whenever he was questioned by the religious leaders of the time, have you not read? Have you not read? It is the word of God that is our standard. Not tradition, not some organization. The standard is the word of God. And as, as a tradition aligns with the word of God, it is good. But as a tradition contradicts the word of God, it is false. As a organization aligns with the word of God, it is good. As it deviates from the word of God, it is wrong. It is the word of God that is the standard. And, and that is to be the standard. Um, the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may do all the words of this law. I'm, I'm taking a preaching class right now, and one of the books that we've been assigned is uh, Dr. Chip Thornton's Point-to-Point -point Preaching. And Monday night, we actually had a guest lecture from Dr. Thornton himself, and he talked about the problems with modern preaching in that they do not draw their meaning from the meaning of the text. And one of the biggest problems is, is allegory, where you, you take a text and you make it mean something else, where everything in the text represents something else, and you complete, preach a completely different message from what the Word says. And there has grown up this thought, and you hear this from Roman Catholics a lot, you know, every man alone interpreting his Bible to himself, 
And, and that's why we have all this diversity and, and all this disagreement and what the Bible means and everything. That if you came to Rome, you know, the magisterium will tell you what it means, except they don't. And there's just as much diversity in the Roman Catholic Church, as, uh, um, diversity of unbelief in the Roman Catholic Church as in many so-called Christian denominations. But here's the thing, and this is what they're denying. The Scripture is clear. We call this the doctrine of the pers perspicuity of Scripture. Scripture is clear in what it says. The problem isn't that people can't read their Bibles and know what it says. The problem is that people read their Bibles and don't like what it says. So they search for ways to change it and to disagree with it. God gave us a book written in human languages. The rules of language apply. He gave us a book meaning for it to be understood. He wants to be understood. There's no hidden meaning. Now there's deep meaning. There's deep meaning. There's no hidden meaning. There's deep meaning in that some of this you have to really read and think about a while, but it's not hidden. It's there. Whenever you try to get something, get it to say something that isn't there, that's the problem. But that's what we see with, with liberal Christianity. That's what we see with allegory and, and so many other you know, false ways of reading the scriptures. The Bible means what it says. And uh, as has been said more than once, <laughs> the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. If you get the main things, you're doing well. As you grow in your faith, you'll start to get a lot more as you spend time and time in the word. But get the main things. And the main things never stop being the main things. And the main things are plain. <laughs> the, the, the main things are, are, are right there for you to read. And so, as James White has pointed out more than once, the denominations and churches that hold to sola scriptura are remarkably unified in their beliefs. which is why I can gladly minister alongside Bible-believing Anglicans, Bible-believing Presbyterians, Bible-believing Methodists, Bible-believing Baptists. If they believe the Bible, I can stand with them and minister alongside them because we have the gospel right. Now, we have our disagreements, absolutely. And, and those disagreements are not minor. And so there are things that, you know, we are not able to do to each other with each other um, because of my doctoral convictions. There are Presbyterian churches that wouldn't let me be a member, nor would I want to be a member there because we disagree on baptism. We disagree on ecclesiology. We disagree on, on other points, but we have the gospel together. There, there are people whom, you know, I would be happy to have preach in my pulpit who I would not have as a member of my church. 
because of, or, well, I'd have him as a member, but I wouldn't have him as a leader in the church because of the differences. You know, there's a reason why we have denominations. But the main things are the plain things. And if we hold to the main things, we're going to be unified around doctrine. Not every doctrine, but the main things. The, 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 the pre-existence of Christ, his deity, his perfect life, his substitutionary death, his resurrection, his present ministry of intercession. We're going to agree on all of that. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. We're going to agree on that. And because of that, we are remarkably unified. Um, even though we may dis disagree on minor things like music style, or even more major things like modes of baptism, we're going to be unified in the gospel and unified in the main things. There is not, among true Christian churches, there's not a huge disunity. The disunity comes when we step away from the Bible. And, and that's, that's a key, key thing to remember. So the, revealed, the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may do all the words of this law. You know, a lot of people say, well, the secret things belong to the, belong to the Lord. I mean, you know, I can't know this. I can't know that. Yeah, but read the rest of the book. What he has revealed to us is yours, and you ought to be bound by it. And you are bound by it, and you will be held accountable for it. Scary thought. Scary thought. All right. We will pick up next week in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Um, I hope you're getting something out of this study. I am certainly enjoying uh, bringing you this, um, even when I forget where I stopped the day before. <laughs> life is uh, life is interesting. Um, I've been busy, okay? I've been busy. I've got stuff to do. All right, let's now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now the colic for the first Sunday in Lent. Almighty God, whose blessed Son was led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan, come quickly to us who are assaulted by many temptations, and, as you know the weaknesses of each of us, let each one find you mighty to save. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And the colic for grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, you have brought us safely to the beginning of this day. Defend us by your mighty power, that we may not fall into sin nor run into any danger, and that guided by your Spirit we may do what is righteous in your sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Amen. And for the unrepentant, we pray. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son, you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for today. We got Theology Thursday coming up tomorrow as we are back in the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Um, we're either finishing chapter 19 or starting chapter 20. I have to look at last week's notes. and uh, But we'll, we'll figure that out. I'll try to be a little bit more ready to go tomorrow. Um, yeah, just distracted, I guess. Uh, hey, we all have days like that, right? Have a great day ahead of you. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. And we'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.